Good morning, everybody, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, June 7, 2015. My name is Leah, and I'm your moderator. The share ID for Friday, June 5th, is 7709. That's 7709. There will be a pause prior to the beginning of the reading of the format, but it is there. 7709. This morning, A Vision for You presents From Denial to a Transformed Mind. The nature and root of our addiction, compulsive overeating, is self-centeredness. In other words, to the extent we think we are the center of the universe, we suffer. This attachment and focus to self and the inability to see the reality of our condition leads us to not to deny its very existence. It is a way of avoiding responsibility for our disease, avoiding responsibility for our actions, believing a lie, thinking it to be the truth. We live in a delusion, thinking and really believing it is reality. The compulsive overeater life seems the only normal one. As compulsive overeaters, we are unable to see the onset and progression of our disease, and this distorted view allows for the development and progression of our illness. This inability to see the reality of our condition leads us to deny its existence, to remain asleep, no matter how painful the circumstances, no matter how clearly we face the four horsemen, terror, bewilderment, frustration, and despair, we cannot see. We have lost the power of choice. The premise of the 12 steps is that an awakening is necessary and possible. This is defined as a change in the way we think, feel, and act, requiring intervention by a power other than ourselves. To get over compulsive overeating will require a transformation of thought and attitude a transformed mind. Joining us to speak about her journey of transformation is Anita J., a recovered compulsive overeater from Massachusetts. Anita has agreed to share her experience with us today, so it's with gratitude that I welcome her to the line. Welcome, Anita J. Thank you, Leah. And you can hear me, correct? Yes. Okay. That's the good and bad news, folks. You can hear me. I um, I really, when last Monday I was listening to the tape recorded of uh, Sunday's special edition with the four speakers and thinking about what would I say if I had been asked to give my 20 minutes. And about 30 minutes later, I got a text from Leah asking me to share my recovery and I just want to tell you that I do have a message now. I've been talking up the kazoo for 37 years in May in OA with the message I had at the time, but had it anything to do with being recovered, being with transformed, being rocketed, being um, in touch, totally in touch with reality? Absolutely not. Now, I came by it pretty honestly. Uh, when you look back, you know, you have to live it forward. 
but you understand it backwards. And I was born in the Midwest in a beautiful town north of Chicago, right on the shores of Lake Michigan, an only child. It was a really basically an upper class town. I thought everybody was blonde but me in it. And um, so right away I was stuck. And I had a um, second-generation Italian mother from um, Nebraska living in Illinois, and she met my father who came over on a steamer with his um, Persian rug under his arm coming to make his fortune at the age of 17. It was a match made in heaven, but it really wasn't. And um, so that was where my parents, and um, as my father said, when um, I was in the program, but nowhere, anywhere near being recovered, he was visiting in Massachusetts, and we were taking him around, showing him the different Christmas decorations at night, and my husband happened to say to him, who used to decorate your tree up when you, when um, Anita was little? And he said, well, first her mother did, and then I did. And then he stopped and he went, you know, Toby. Toby was my childhood name, which I changed finally in OA. Got the courage to switch to my real name. He said, Toby really had it made the first three years of her life. And then she kind of got lost. So that was said. We show him the decorations. We take him back to a little apartment that I, in senior housing where we, where he was now living. And um, we get home and my husband goes, my God, I cannot believe your father admitted that. Men of that generation never admitted any kind of weakness or problem. And I said, oh, what did he say? And he repeated it. And I burst into tears. I cried and cried and cried. I didn't know why. I didn't know why. It was later I realized that's the first time he ever admitted or any human being admitted that I I was I was really abandoned. Can you be abandoned when you have two parents? Can you? Well I guess you can. You can feel it. And um that tells you from the earliest years I abandoned trying to stay in touch with reality. It wasn't getting me anywhere. My mother was really, by the time she was 33 years old, I got her level drunk. And um, I was told by my father that I always used to say to him, get rid of her, get rid of her. And so that was at the age of five, I'm telling. So you can see that there was uh, something going on here, and there was fighting between the two. We only lived in two rooms, a kitchen and a living room, the kitchen had my crib in it, which I had to stay in the crib for a long time past what I should have. But it was convenient to the food. So let me just throw that in. I mean, 
I can't go into all of it. So let's just say the earliest food memory I have is climbing out of that crib and going over to the bread box and eating a tunnel through the Italian bread. And whenever they, you know, were going to slice it, there was a tunnel down the middle of it. The back and forth, that back and forth pattern is repeated my entire life, back and forth, back and forth. Um, And I just want to say about compulsive overeating, back then, I think it saved me. I think it calmed my nerves. I'm feeling, I'm feeling right now how little Toby felt. And you know, as I remember, which I will tell you about, everything that happened to her, which I did not remember until I was in 12 years, I was in Overeaters Anonymous, when I finally remembered my childhood. And that was at the death of my father. And um, he was like the gateway of telling me I could handle it. You can handle it. You can handle it. And um, this all came back after he died. I remember being at the gravesite and um, standing there in a size 8 dress, looking just like I was always at his side, you know. That was my father. He was the saint. She was the sinner. And, um, And so anyway, 50 pounds later, 50 pounds later, I finally surrendered again in the program. And that's when I did my first big book step study in um, right after, uh, three years after that. So that's just telling you ahead of time something here. I had a terrible secret, two of them it turned out, that I didn't know. And that's how I've coped my whole life. Anything, you know, you know how they say in the program, take what you want and leave the rest? Well, I had like this revisionist childhood. I had no memory. I had no memory of uh, the specifics. And you know, when we do our fourth step and we want to be specific, you just don't say, my mother is a, you know, um, made me feel bad. Let's be specific. Or I, I, I made my son uh, feel insecure. When did you? How did you? And, uh, and all of that was gone from my childhood. I had no memory of any of it. And um, between food and my school had uh, the Evanston school system had a fantastic creative dramatics program and. I had the lead from the time I was in the second grade being a giant bunny. I still remember it. In my little second grade classroom, I was this bunny. It wasn't supposed to be a giant bunny, but that was chubby me. And I had a memory of I'm supposed to come out of this little little uh, something that was supposed to be like the rabbit hole at the same time that I heard a commotion in the audience. And it was my mother staggering down. She was drunk coming to see me. And um, that's my first memory of that and being being around her. And um, 
That's why I wanted to get rid of her. So the thing was, creative dramatics and food saved me. And um, I really think, as I remember the whole childhood, that little Toby is the bravest person I ever met. So with this kind of denial, I, I crossed the street to Northwestern, started Northwestern. At that time, my parents now were divorced, and she was evident. She she eventually got into a mental hospital because she wouldn't admit her alcoholism and rehab places. Too, she was sent to lovely ones actually on the North Shore. There, said so we can't help somebody who won't admit they have a problem. And so for 13 years, she lived in a mental hospital, and I had to visit her every year. So the point is, there was a lot to try to forget so that I could come across with the polish you get when you go to the Evanston school system, when you're in theater, when you're majoring in theater, you get a certain polish. But inside, it was just all crumply. It was... um, it was awful inside. To be alone with myself was an awful thing. Uh, but I could play the part, really play the part. I was um, very well liked, particularly by the girls. I mean, um, by eighth grade, the boys were no longer interested in me. In the eighth grade, I weighed 167 pounds. And um, the biggest girl... And now the boys' hormones kicked in, and they were not asking me to dance. So that's when I went on my first diet, thinking food was the problem, not the quicksand inside me. And um, and it worked. It worked. By the time I was graduated from high school, I looked like a normal human being. And it was just looks I was interested in. And um, went to Northwestern. And finally realized, who are you kidding? You cannot. I didn't have the confidence to go to Broadway. It was just, I couldn't do it. So I ended up doing clerical and enrolling in um, night school in Northwestern and switched to psych. At that time, I took a trip to New York City and I met my husband. And da-da-da-da, on paper, I married... I'll match his his resume <laughs> with anybody's. That's my man. That's my man. He's going to save me. I didn't know I thought that, you know. But the point is, I come off to, to uh, living in Yonkers and um, had my two children there. And right away, uh, there was a lot to start shoving down again. Repression, repression. I'm all right. Just think of the paper, think of the resume, everything's fine. And the thing is, put two people together who both come from dysfunctional, to say the least, homes. And what are you going to get? So that was the beginning of all of that. We moved to Massachusetts. My first remedy, again, was just outwardly, outwardly, you know, and became a diet workshop lecturer. Um, Right when it came, it actually came to Massachusetts the same time OA did. And some of the people who would come, and I'd have to weigh them, you know. 
um, would say, oh, we tried this thing called Overeaters Anonymous. Oh, my God, they're so serious. Oh, oh, we have so much fun with you, Anita. Well, it was Toby then. We have a lot of fun with you. This is, you talk about the ego. I loved her description, Leah, because um, at one time I would have thought, who is she talking about? Who is this egocentric human being she's discussing? But that's how I know that I am not the same person. Because I was sitting here nodding. And I wasn't nodding, no. And so um, I was had such an ego that I would check the TV listings on the night of our diet workshop class that I was leading to see who I was up against. Once I was up against Elizabeth Taylor, and we still had a full house. And that that was me. Do you get the feeling? A lot of chutzpah here. And yet inside, oh, my God, nothing, nothing. Um, and I'm raising two children by then. I have two, and I, I have two. I still have two. Um, when I joined OA, which was in 1978, by that time, those two little kids were a freshman and sophomore in high school. And um, I get in, I get into OA, and um, I had also, in between those two things, gone and gotten a master's in counseling psych. I'm going to tell, I'm going to help others, you know, to focus off myself, keep the focus off myself, but not in the kind of way that we mean in the program. And I'm just going to tell them. Well, one of the first populations I got, I had, was um, some recovering alcoholics. And I kept inside. I'd go home, and it, it crossed my mind. You're in the wrong seat, kid. They should be sitting. They should be sitting in the power chair, not you. And I would just come home and shovel the food in. And it was for the first time my kids actually saw me eating compulsively. The tension was so great to keep up the front that I would just stay staring at me as I'm shoveling it in because up until then I missed closet. Miss closet, miss replacement, replace it. Once I had um, Neapolitan ice cream, which I don't like, but I have to eat what my husband won't like. A lousy taste, believe me. And um, I would replace, replace, eat down to the level and replace. That was my modus operandi. One day I came home and I'm trying to replace it. And unfortunately, the stripes and the kind of ice cream I bought went the other way. And I'm trying to pack it in now to put it the way it's supposed to, like he cares. But I thought everybody was like me. Guess what? He decided to come home and surprise me for lunch, and he catches me in the kitchen trying to repack this ice cream. I'm going to tell you that I would rather he had found me with a man in the kitchen than than doing this. The shame. He never mentioned it, and I never mentioned it. Just block it. Just block it, and guess what? I guess he's pretty good at it, too. He blocked it. I also want you to know that when I was doing that, I was in a normal-sized body. That is 
nothing to do with the size. I see now. I mean, every time I've ever had a relapse, several relapses, people who know me in OA have no have known me at so many different weights. And that Masters in Counseling also included a, um, you know, I forget the name of that kind of, uh, you, you, it doesn't matter. But the point is, I thought that maybe some kind of a psych technique would work until I walked into the class and the fellow had a huge stomach. And so right away, I knew on some level, this isn't going to work. Behavior modification, Keto, isn't going to work. Otherwise, for heaven's sake, why is he sitting there with that gut teaching us? So that that was that. And um, I started that graduate school at 162 pounds. It was only a year and a half. And I my um, graduation, I weighed 210. So that tells you the tension, how I felt. It was, I have a picture of me turning in the um, cap and gown. And it was a hot, hot day, hot. We were in this football stadium receiving our diplomas. And um, and um, underneath it, I had bought a new outfit, polyester skirt long sleeve blouse and a polyester vest over it. I had it all on. These college kids, they they tossed their cap and gown and the young men didn't even have a shirt on. And so that's how I just lived, cover up, denial, cover up, denial. And the self-worth just kept dropping. And yet outwardly, I was, um, again, Again, seemed very well liked. Uh, I guess to you know how to put it, I was very well liked by everybody but me. And that, let's put it like that. So I get in and I start to do some of the um, fourth step work, not via the big book yet, although the big book was the book. That's all we had in 1978. And... Um, I thought, what are we doing with it? This is the book my mother should have read. And that's the irony, you know. The very first woman who who sought out um, AA in, in, in Illinois lived in Evanston, but it wasn't my mother. It just, um, you know, that was when I was bitter, you know, bitter. Why, you know, why couldn't she? But the point is, I could never truly relate that's the greatest thing vision has done for me. Those pages have come alive. They've come alive. And they've come alive in me. I could relate to all of it. But I couldn't then. I'm reading it. We'd have to drive to Needham. We'd have to drive to Needham. They always had a big book meeting there. I lived in Framingham. Most of this country doesn't even know where these are, but I'm just telling you. And, uh, but we'd go. And at that time, there were no step meetings either. You know, how, how do you keep working this without doing, you know, working the steps? Well, I don't know. And um, I heard of one in Worcester. And I was, Framingham is halfway between Boston and Worcester, but I never went Worcester way. So I thought, again, I was 
a hot ticket that I would go to Worcester thinking, you know, really anything I did that was extra, I thought, uh, you are the greatest. You are this. You are that. I had no idea. So we, I got there, and step one was led by an OAer, and step two through 12 were led, or I guess, yes. The food step was led by um, an Overeaters Anonymous person who was abstinent. And the rest of the steps were, were led by an AA. And um, we got there and they announced after the opening, those of you who are not abstinent, stay, go to the left into room whatever because you're going to weekly go through one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three until you get it. The rest of you go the other way, and you're going to do 4 through 12. Guess where I went? I went to 4 through 12. I wasn't abstinent. But I wasn't fat either. It was the kind of abstinence where it's not showing. That's all I cared about. There's a friend um, in LA I've known her for years. I like her so much. And she has told me, you know, she's not always abstinent, but whatever she does, she never gains. That was my goal. Look at, I mean, God I must have been up in the heavens going wherever he is in my heart, shaking his head, that poor girl, doesn't she know the gifts I have for her? All she wants is to have enough abstinence so she doesn't show. That, that was my goal. So I went my way and... Um, one, two, three, again, stayed there in the hinterlands, and I'm doing this. Well, the good that came out of that, there's always good going to come out. Recovery, no, but good. I finally came to see that this one of the lies, as Leah used the word lies, there were a lot of lies, but the only way I could get up in the morning, put my pants on, and go out was I never needed a mother. My father was my father and my mother. I did not need one. I finally realized, who the heck have you been kidding? You've been looking for a mother your entire life. You tried to turn your husband into your mother, your mother-in-law. These are all wounded puppies that I'm asking to be my mother, you know. My kids, my daughter, my daughter, you know, let her be a daughter. I came, you know, I've made my amends. We're very close now. But um, you don't make your daughter one of your confidants. You know, it's just uh, ridiculous. But it was, that's all, that's how I was. I had no idea. So uh, the searching, and I finally came to see that I needed to be reunited with my mother. Because when I married, uh, by then she had been released from the state hospital. They had put a lot of people who didn't belong in them. In them, and so she came back to Evanston, and you know she was a bit of a snob. You won't believe that, will you? But this lady who never finished, I think she made it through eighth grade. But um, beyond that, I don't think she went any further. She was a snob. 
few women in Evanston. She even eventually, she's buried in Evanston. She bought her own plot. And I think it's really, um, I got to laugh because I do come by this kind of snobbish, it's all the best I could do. Evanston was my self-esteem. And evidently my mother, just now as I'm saying it, I guess it was her self-esteem too. It was a good address, even though, you know, Anyway, so that was that was Mama, and um, then I thought how to do it. Now here's a big bookish thing that came in. There was a fellow. He wrote a book. I have no memory anymore. I long ago got rid of that book. And he wrote a book uh, on the steps, and he was holding a retreat in Connecticut. And it was, I'm going to go into it all. I ended up there, and it was there that I finally realized what my message was. You're going to find your mother. You're going to find her. I knew she was in Evanston. I didn't know where. To make a long story short, I did find her. I called the wrote the Salvation Army. And then I think God wanted my father involved because he phoned me. And he said, guess what? I saw your mother walking down the street. And I told her that Toby's looking for you. And she said, oh, all right. Just like us, like uh, it was only last week we saw each other instead of 13 years. And um, and I went. And uh, I've actually written a memoir, a little, like a monologue on, on my mother. It's a, really a tribute because I came to see you know, she did not set out to live a life like that. She had to survive, too. And so I began from that time on, the early 80s. She died in 97. And um, I was a daughter to her. It was always hard. This is not the mother that we want, you know. But it's the mother I got. And um, it was healing. It was It was healing. In the meantime, I um, I continue on in OA and got into those A walls, and um, there was a stretch there where I had two years and seven months of abstinence. I wanted to get in abstinence. We're not talking recovery. Two years and seven months of abstinence, and that was in the late 80s, and um, my father died, as I told you before. And by the time, um, 50 pounds later, uh, I was in a therapist for three years. I had never uh, been that long in one. I would once in a while go for about nine months, and I'd learn something. See, I was always afraid. I didn't know it. I'd even joke that I'm in recovery with one foot on the brakes. I wanted to get better, but I was terrified. I didn't know why. I just didn't know why. And so um, she kept telling me. It turned out I, mean, I purposely sought out a 12-step therapist. I didn't want to have to go through a higher power explaining that to a therapist, the 12 steps. So that was a blessing. I found her, and um, it was marvelous. And she just kept saying, when you feel safe, when when you feel safe, 
you'll remember. And we never looked. We would like do a guidance, like it was like meditation, and I would go to a safe place inside, bring myself in down. And it was a combination of Lake Michigan and this park. I have memories of playing, and I, I used to pretend and play in there. They had these little spots that I made up fantastic little stories of a, of a life for a little girl. And I was very happy in that park. And, um, and then I had that and the Lake Michigan all together, like like five feet apart, just candy. So feeling safe in there. And it was really, it was the little kid. It was the little kid playing again, playing there in the water, getting the water fountain. And um, by that time, we also have a nice little place at the Cape. And um, one day at the Cape, I don't know why, in the safety, maybe the ocean or whatever it is, but the two secrets I've been harboring my whole life came back. The, the easiest one first, and that was the pedophile janitor. You know, if you've got a mother drunk, uh, is, she, is she watching out? This little three-year-old here, was playing, was playing in the back of these apartment buildings. And um, it's all pieced together later, but it was a pedophile janitor. And um, I got into a program here in Massachusetts with other people. They called it incest because I never knew. It includes close family friends. That's incestuous. And my father was had his own painting and wallpapering business, and one of his accounts were these apartment buildings. So he had all his equipment there, a duplicate set there, and so he knew the janitor very well. I felt safe with the janitor because he was my father's friend. And um, I got into that program. It was very, uh, very good. And some of these people were going to sign up again. But I told my therapist, I go, you know, there's something else. There's something else. And oh, back again, going down and thinking. And one day at the Cape, uh, this is by now almost three years, right at the end since my father's death. I'm walking and suddenly I picked up a pen and I wrote on a piece of paper, my mother bound and gagged me and put me in the parking garage pit and left me to die is actually what I wrote. It must have felt like it. And, um, and I know I was three years old. And I just stared at this, you know. And the thing is, between that and the pedophile janitor, it all got pieced together. Because I used to remember as a little kid Playing among my father's drop cloth when he worked in the building that we we lived in, I'd be playing. Why would a three-year-old or even a four-year-old be playing in with the paint, you know, with the drop cloth? It all finally came together that my father, when he worked in those buildings, he kept me from her. And um, when he didn't, he asked, the janitor to watch me 
So it's like what? The frying pan and the fire or the, or the hen or the, the wolf watching the chicken poop. Um, so the point is he, that is what all, it finally came together. It also came together. You know, when you repress, I had no memory of facts. But I eventually lived with my father again in that, in that building. And once in a while, that guy would come to visit my father. I would leave. I would leave the room. I'd go and sit somewhere else. It's a small apartment. Sometimes I was in there sitting on the toilet waiting for him to leave. I hated him. I had no memory of why. They just thought, my father thought I was some, I don't know what he thought. You know, so the point is, um, I had a lot, I come by it honestly, this denial, this denial. And the only one that I had to try to build up was me. Otherwise, I couldn't function. And the thing was, I did not know, okay, now you can let go of this. You're going to learn a new way. And um, But after I got all of, all of that, um, all of it out, and came to terms with it. Because I felt adapted. Do you know that? This is like, who is this childhood you're talking about? It's yours. Own it, kid. It's yours. So um, before I tell you about the beginning of my first big book step study, I didn't mention God at all here. And let me tell you that I was looking for him my whole life. I was, and uh, we won't go into all of that, but right um, right before I joined OA, I was down a major road in um, that bounds Natick and Framingham, and I am crossing um, the, the intersection, and I'm hit in the driver door by a United Fruit Truck. That's a big one. The car is being totaled, and I had not a bruise. Well, I don't want to exaggerate. I don't want to lie. Two days later, a tiny little bruise, the size not even of a quarter, appeared on my thigh. And that was it. I bet you think that's the spiritual awakening. No, it wasn't. One year later, in OA and abstinence, I am driving down the same road. Traffic is all backed up. And I'm trying to see what it was. And I finally, I look ahead, and I see a fire truck and an ambulance and a little horse trailer, a little one, and a stretcher. And they are taking out somebody. And that is when I just got totally enveloped with the thought, he has always been there. He's always been there. And um, the problem was that I didn't know what God can do and what he can't do or what he doesn't do. What he promised was he would always be there. He would always be there. And... um, I, of course, was saved from that pit, wasn't I? Otherwise, you wouldn't be hearing this story. And um, maybe it was merciful that I forgot it all. 
until until I was strong enough. That's what I came to see, until you were strong enough to understand it. By then, I had already even made up with my mother, you know, without knowing this. And it was okay, if you can believe, and it was very healing at the end I was able. Well, I won't say that right now. It was God... Um, has always been there. And I want to tell you, though, there was a course correction on God during my recovery. And that was through another automobile accident. And it was my son. It was my son. When he was, um, he was legal. He was of a legal age to drink. And um, we get a call about three or four in the morning, and I was, I'm always the one who answers. And uh, I hear this tense voice, Mom, put Dad up. And it turned out that he was going down a road, um, and he, well, this is knowing the facts after the, afterwards. He skidded on black ice, crossed the center lane, and hit, hit somebody who died instantly. He was in a little van he had just bought, a used little van. Um, he had taken all the tires out. I don't, I don't remember the whole story, but uh, he couldn't control it, and he crossed over. She was in a tiny little one, and um, sub-subcompact something, and she's killed instantly. And um, it was during that entire process that I grew up grew up in terms of God, in terms of God. That's when I was so angry. And just to shorten it to the end of it, where was God, I used to say, five seconds either way and they would have missed each other. And that's the other mystery of it. Five seconds either way and my son's trajectory was a stone wall instead of that little car. That that is something beyond my thinking, you know. And um, the thing is, where was God in it? That's where I finally got the answer. He was in the road with them. God was crying in the road with them. And that is where I finally grew up. You know, I was a church shopper. I grew up in one kind of... um. Protestant, you know, and I went shopping around. I married a different Protestant, and we just went around, and everything always disappointed me, just like the God always disappointed Everything disappointed me. And um, from this time on, I, um, I don't go shopping anymore. I don't, I don't go moving around. I stay. I finally come to see as I heard on the lines, one of the fellows here, and I needed it. Actually, I was at a retreat with him last year. No matter how recovered you get, you will never rise above the level of a human being. Now it's straight in my mind. We are the human beings, right? <laughs> He's the God. And see, for me, it was always easier to say he than she. And now you see why. And um, the thing was, through, through all these 12 steps, uh, well, just to finish with God, he occasionally has given me messages. Nothing like what 
if I if I were the center of the universe, he would he should tell me to get up and need to go um, shed light on the whole town of Framingham, which I don't live in anymore, by the way. But um, show him the way. You know, no, he's never told me to do anything very dramatic. The first time he ever told me anything was get up and do the dishes. I had been feeling very, very, I who knows why. Something had, had uh, I don't want to use the word, so something had irked me. <laughs> and I called my sponsor and she said, I have a room full of people. Try to go go somewhere and get and ask to get into God's presence. That was the first time I really tried that, and I did. And that was his answer: get up and do the dishes. And it was like the message of indecision stuff, pause, all of that. Just do the next right thing, and the next right thing, and the next right thing. And pretty soon you're on the bike again, and you're on the road again, and that that was it. One of his other early messages to me, and it's funny because it's not it's not when I'm sitting in any meditation. It's the quiet. I use a lot of quiet through the years now through the program. I really am enjoying the, the quiet. I love to be around people. Don't get me wrong. I am like. Um, people think I'm an extrovert to the nth degree, but I gotta have my peace and quiet. And um, I'm not uncomfortable anymore in the quiet, you know. So the point is, the next one was, you're not using all your abilities. That was, you know, that felt like the admonishment of God. I just remember like bending down and like the sun on me, and so. Needless to say, plenty began to come onto my plate, and I was saying yes. So at the time, I want to tell you about that first uh, big book step study. Um, it was very thorough, the fourth and the fifth. Good stuff came out of it. That is, that is where I came to terms with father and mother and me and other people. I was on the list. Some people are on the list. Out here, we we put them, and I got so much out of having me on my list because the things that I was carrying, such a such a you know the center of the universe. If no one else is carrying it, you got to carry it. One page of my resentments toward myself belonged on my mother's list. The other another page belonged on my father's list. My list now was, this is me. I mean, I, I don't know how I would have learned that any other way. I was just such a burden lifted off me, just even understanding that. And also getting my father off his pedestal where he did not belong. You know, he came into an encounter with an, with an alcoholic he didn't understand her. They were both from a Christian background, but two different ones. Um, he comes from Iran. Well, it's now Iran. It was Persia. I mean, all these Christians are thrown out of there, you know. But the thing was, um, they didn't understand each other. 
they both had a tremendous sense of humor, including my mother, even when she was in a mental hospital, but could do a monologue on all the patients except herself. So the thing is, I think I got was blessed with their humor, and um, which I don't think I've been very funny tonight, but that's okay. Uh, so I got some wonderful stuff out of that for the fourth and the fifth. But guess what? It's a 12-step program. And um, the woman basically dismissed me after the fourth and the fifth because she was an AA. The, the OA had moved who had so lovingly showed me how to write it. She was fantastic. And then they relocated, and I got this AA who was the perfect person for my fifth step. I'm telling you, I know that was God. But she said, uh, we really, she said, I'm not an advocate of just living out of the, uh, the big book way, but this is the way we do the fourth step here. Oh, says I, charmingly. And yet I was filled with anger. I never knew why I was so angry. You hear about people who say, oh, I gave it away and I felt off, la, la, la. I was filled with anger. I didn't understand it, so I stuffed it. Now I realize you got chipped. But um, what was my part in it? Off case, we had plenty of big book meetings. Not plenty, but they were there. And there were some very wonderful uh, OAers who kept trying to push me to go- come to them. When I finally did, I thought I was doing them a favor. I'm telling you, that is, that's Anita. That is this Anita. And... Um, I'd go, I could be, say something profound. Didn't matter if I was absent or not. And uh, that is how, that is what I was like. I just want to say then that finally, um, I finally kind of fell apart. I fell apart. And so for five, these five years before I walked into, or I didn't walk in, that I, I dialed in, uh, I had no abstinence, and no abstinence, I try. I mean, I'm saying no abstinence, it could have been two, three months fall off, maybe even eight months fall off. And um, I never went all the way back up, and I attribute that to this coming to terms with the whole childhood in in my early years. My high was 229 pounds, and uh, that was after I put down cigarettes. But I bopped around in the 220s, 210, 219, all, all over the 200s, um, 196. And uh, uh, so that was, that, that is um, a lot of where I never went anymore. I stayed right around 180, 182 couldn't go any further, I'd break it. Something would come trivial. You know, you see it in the big book. Sometimes I, I really identify with that whole section. Now, I have, if, if an alcoholic is honest, he has no idea why I picked up. You know, two out of five times, I knew why. The other three, I, God knows, have any idea why I picked up. Uh, that's how out of touch also that I was. But once that obsession got going, which I didn't know that I had set off myself, how are you going to stop? If you are a real alcoholic, 
if you are a real compulsive overeater, lots of luck. You know, I have shared that once with you folks about my surrender and coming to vision. Um, finally, I saw I would eat my three weighed measured meals. Would you believe it? I would. And um, my new food plan in the last two, three years with this nutritionist who comes from a eating disorder clinic, of which I've never been to one, but um, I follow it, and it has, a, it has something <clears throat> extra. Well, guess what? I would clean up the kitchen. I would do all of that, pour myself a cup of coffee, open up my husband's cabinet, take one peanut out and sit down, thinking it was going to do it, do it. Now, I think most of you will know that it, what is it? That empty, the God hole, one peanut is going to fill it. So the point is, um, that was my entryway in over and over until I finally, it was my behavior. This is the first time I ever surrendered because of my behavior. Even I couldn't fool myself anymore. Denial wasn't working anymore. Um, I couldn't do it. Up until then, it was the weight. It was always the weight. And yet, um, I had begun to go up again. I think I had hit 191 at the same time as my peanut stories. Because you know, folks, it wasn't a peanut. It started with it. And then it removed. And to get rid of peanut tastes, I switched to something else. To get rid of that taste, I switched to something until finally, you know, the goal of stupor came over me. And um, I think I was led to vision. I want to tell you how it happened. I want to thank some of my sponsors. Um, like they do on radio shows, Carnation, Milk, no, no, none of that. I want to say that the last sponsors helped me and if there's anything I can ever do for them, you know, I'd be so grateful to do it. And someone who wasn't my sponsor also, I'm just very, very grateful. And I had a sponsor who does the big book, Step Study. Um, I don't know if she calls herself recovered or not, but she said to me, it's time to grow up, Anita. You know, I am no spring chicken, folks. It's time to grow up, Anita. And um, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. And uh, I never forgot it. But and she'd smile and, you know, I'd see her. And I have since, I have since thanked her, actually publicly thanked her because I was qualifying at a meeting and I thanked her. And... Um, I had another one who moved to the area. Now she's moved away again. Who had done the big book step study somewhere. And she wanted to... Uh, I, I asked her to sponsor me. I had no idea how she did it. I wanted her... I, I know that God pointed me. So she wanted me to do it. So she, so, so I said, I've done it. And she goes, um, you have? I go, yeah, I've done it. And she goes, but... Um, you're asking me to sponsor you because you're not abstinent? And I go, yes. Well, like, what has that got to do with it? You know, I didn't say that. She said, well, you know what? I'm going to have to ask my um, 
I've got to talk to my sponsor. So she comes back to me and she comes, well, that's my sponsor. She can blame her sponsor because she probably thought it too. So something didn't take. If you're still eating and you tell me you did the big book step study sponsor, process and you're still eating, something didn't take. Something. And so I still didn't buy it, but I did it. So I was starting with her. And then I think she had an accident and she moved further away. And I don't know. I probably manufactured some reason. And that was the end of her. Um, Then I had someone else who doesn't do the big book, at least she didn't at the time, but she introduced me first to this food plan. And the thing was with the food plan, it was very satisfying. It turned out to be the same food plan, and um, but it's a very slow in losing weight with this. And uh, she's telling me there's other rewards you just can't focus on that. Are you losing? Yes. But see, I wasn't losing fast enough. And you know what? Nothing was ever fast enough. Nothing. If it could have been five pounds, well, how come it wasn't six? Nothing. And it didn't matter how thin I got, I never looked good. Nothing. Now your friend that you're talking to, I have been abstinent since February 4th of 2014. That's really, isn't that amazing? That's like 16 months now. And guess what? It's 30 pounds. 30 pounds in 16 months. And it's like, it's it's coming off. It keeps coming off. And with each one, I am practicing, practically doing one of those, getting on the floor and raising my hands. I mean, I'm not a bad kind of worship, but it's how I feel the gratitude with each little pound. It's like it's it's just a miracle. I feel and move my body and everything more like I did um when I was at a at even a lower weight. I'm now like in the clothes that when I get into relapse, this is the first set of clothes that I finally face it, you need you need to move up, you need to get clothes. And I'm finally back into them. And this time they all look beautiful. They just all look beautiful. It just because I'm just grateful. The gratitude. Well I but I was going to hold in now on what happened. My current sponsor, um uh well wait, right before that Right before that, uh, I was now moved. I moved, and it changed my circle of um, OAers, and um, actually changed everything. My church changed everything, and I'm going to a different big book step study. And I would lead, and I would share. Sometimes I feel so hypocritical. I just did. I just felt lousy, and um, we go to the Cape a lot, and a friend told me, well, we had our business meeting and they decided they've added a new requirement. You have to be, you have to be abstinent. Whether you've done the big book step study or not, if you're not abstinent, you cannot read, 
or give your experience. I mean, up there as the leader, when you go around the room, if you want to, you can't. But up there, you can't. And, um, oh, the, the resentment, the pain. Can I tell you, folks, I have long ago, well, I don't know how long ago, but I thanked her. I thanked the woman that I was pretty sure did it. And it turns out she's a visionary. I did not know. We we have some in that group. At the Cape now, I know one. Uh, Framingham, uh, the Natick meaning they're there. Uh, they're spreading. I mean, I'm just very excited. They're, they were always there. And um, she did me such a service because, see, each one of these things was cracking the denial. I, you see, if I finally face that I, I couldn't make it on my own, I'm going to end up in the Mantino State Hospital. I'm going to be somewhere where I, you know, what's going to happen? Well, guess what? I finally, well, you know what happened? Finally, I was willing for God to take all of me, the good and the bad, all of me. You take it, please. And I have to do that all the time because it's not daily, as you know. You just feel differently at different times, but the gratitude, the humility. Now I know what they talk about, humility. I am so grateful to be one among many. Just we're all trudging that road. It's not a trudge anymore. I'm like, I'd skip, except that I'm afraid to skip. So I, I kind of kerplunk along the roads because I'm joyous. I want my feet to come up. And um, I surrender and get a sponsor. Unbeknownst to me, but God knows. Because she wasn't the sponsor I wanted, but I took her. And um, but God knew she had. She said, "Well, Anita, I have just been um, listening to phone meetings, and I've just gone through uh, the big book. And if you want me, I want you to listen. I want you to listen to those meetings, and I want you, you know, and then we will do it." Well, I have just given up. Okay, all right. So January 18th of last year, I turn on, dial in. always feels like we're on the radio. Uh, I dial in, and every you're in. God is so good to me. The doctor's opinion. Da-da, da-da-da-da-da-da. And so from the beginning, the part that I just poo-pooed, step one, two, and three, but poo-pooed it away, Started with step one, January 18th, the doctor's opinion. And those words that I have read so many times came alive. That bloody peanut (laughs) was setting off the mental obsession, the um, physical allergy, the obsession that something was going to help me, something will make the evening, something will set off the day, end it nicely, a peanut, for God's sake. It doesn't matter. I switched brand peanuts, you know, almonds, uh, a little bit more fattening ones, and oh, whatever. The point is I set it off every time. And why? Because I had so many. I was not at peace. I wasn't at peace. I couldn't be there. 
you can settle in with God in the quiet. It's a beautiful place to be. It is. It's incredible. And um, I didn't know any of that. So that was the, that's the story is that um, finally, uh, January 18th, February 3rd was my last binge. And, and um, February 4th began just my new life, my new life. And um, in the middle of July, I became recovered. I knew it. I remember going to, through the process of um, becoming busier, of asking God to use me, I ended up in an organization made up at any given time of about 800 women of this particular, you know, um, denomination in the church that I was led to. I never mentioned that, did I? The minister was having an affair in the last church I went to, and that did it. I threw out God. I threw the baby out with the bathwater. I threw it all out. Enough of this. And it was through a way that uh, I thought, again, here's that, who are you kidding? What are you going to do on Sunday morning? You've always gone. There was always something. And I got led. I got led to this church. Um, why, and who knows why, but it was, it's been wonderful. It's been wonderful for actually my whole family, but my son, who is out there saying he's not, God is not his bag. And I think back, I think about that automobile accident and how I'm sure he feels God wasn't there for him. And um, I pray for him. You can pray for him, too. And so that was, I was led then um, to that church and, and those women. And I put in a lot of service with them. And um, I don't even now remember why I'm telling you that, but that. That was just all part of, it was there. We have a summer conference, we call it a companion conference, where people come from all over the country. I had five amends to make there. I was in the amends phase when I went, and I remember thinking, driving up, um, I've got to talk to my sponsor about how will we know when I'm recovered? Well, I never had to ask her because... One of those five, four of the five were there. The one that had to be a face-to-face sit-down, God, I thought, God, you pick the time. I'm going to be here five days. You know, day one, day one, I take my bags in my room. I hear people. I hear something, and I start to go up. Um, I, anyway... I started the amends and um, with her. And the point is, when I went into the large room, I felt as if there was a giant turnaround on the whole world. And since then, I have been off and running. And I'm um, going to just wrap up to say that I've been sponsoring. That has been my major thing now, sponsoring. And I've led now three through um, and uh, working with another one. And I'm, I'm just grateful to be of service, if you can know. I think now, thank you very much. Um, look at that. I wondered what I'd say. And I've gone over an hour. So there I am, this bladder mouth. 
<laughs> but thank you for listening. And now I pass. Thank you so much, Anita, for sharing your journey of transformation with us and the change that occurred as a result of these 12 steps. Thank you so much. Anita J's contact information will be given at the conclusion of this recording, so please stay tuned for that. And now we'll open the floor for question and answers. If you have any questions for Anita related to her recovery process, press star 1 to unmute. Direct your questions to Anita. Hello, this is Harper. I hear Anne-Marie. I hear Harper. Who else? Alita in Minnesota. Alita P. Alita P. And there's someone else I'm not catching. Mary Lee R. in California. Mary Lee, thank you. Okay. Eileen B., you got in there. All right, let's start with that. Anne-Marie, go ahead. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Leah, for your service. Appreciate it so much. And Anita, oh, my goodness. Um, Thank you for your uh, sharing your journey with us. And, um, you know, I, I I got the humor with the uh, with the ice cream <laughs> and um i just i, I just uh, really related so much and just well, one thing um <clears throat> people that are not from the area i'm i'm in south carolina but originally from rhode island and if you travel more than 30 minutes it's it's a day trip <laughs> so i could follow along <laughs> with you traveling to those meetings but my question is um i have difficulty quieting my mind when it's t- when i do meditation and i was wondering if if you ever had that trouble of you know getting quiet and with the prayer and the meditation the meditation part of of listening it if you ever had that problem, and if you have, how did you, how did you overcome and, and become able to sit quietly to meditate? Thank you. Uh, thank you for the question. Um, you know, I'm still working on that myself. That's why um, I have a lot of quiet. Uh, I try with the timer in the morning. Um, to do, and, and that's what the sponsor had wanted me to try to do, and um, I've I've never, um, it, it helps focus, but it hasn't done what, what I think you're looking for, but I can get quiet in the quiet. I guess that's my best way to say, and you know, two weekends ago, I went to a, I went to a retreat uh that had a lot of meditation. It wasn't 12-step, except that the woman was 40 years recovered. So it wasn't that fantastic. And um, uh, in AA, and uh, we did meditation for the whole weekend, and I got more comfortable. I don't know if, say, more exposure to it or just just to keep, keep the radio off and um, be in constant contact as much as you can. And that's about the best I can tell you. I'm still learning myself. Thanks. Thank you, Anne-Marie. Harper, your turn. This this is Harper. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Oh, Anita, thank you so much for your experience, strength, and hope. 
I got so much out of your sharing, and I love just get up and do the dishes, and I love the radio metaphor. And I started, I'm a recovered sponsor, and I'm so grateful to this program and this phone meeting to get me there. And I've started uh, changing the radio station, or I haven't changed the radio station. The radio station is gradually changing, and uh, from the Harper Show to the God Show, and sometimes there's static. I sometimes get some static, but I have a much easier time finding the God Show on my radio now, and what's also just noticing the Harper Show much easier, much quicker to change the station, and um, just get up and do the dishes is one of the hugest things that I ever heard, something along those lines those lines and uh it just is so profound it seems like a small directing direction but just get up and do the dishes is profound and uh there's so much more in life that I thought I had to do but dishes is really what I have to do and also I heard in one of my early meditations who what makes you think you're so special and I was aghast and horrified by that and now I love hearing what makes you think you're so special and uh it's incredibly humbling and what does make me think I'm so special or so different than any other compulsive overeater and getting out of the way you know when I thought I was so special was definitely the Harper show and what makes me think I'm so special was a great nudge or a loud uh directive and I'm so grateful that I now appreciate that sentiment from my higher power uh, what makes you think you're so special and it's a great question that I ask myself now in a loving way and my higher power definitely delivered it to me in a loving way uh, but it's an incredible healing healing comment what makes you think you're so special and the minute I start feeling like I'm special or unique I am in big trouble, and that's the Harper Show, and i got to turn the channel. Thank you so much. You know, I wanted to add something about the meditation, listening to what you were saying. It kind of reminded me that on that weekend, she mentioned about the, the head, the head making noise and all, and that's one of the little voices, you know? And so she, I've done this now, and I passed it on to somebody I know already. I might as well tell you all. When that head starts, she I go because she showed me how to you know to say, all right, honey, come here, come here and sit next to me. This agitated part of me, just come here, quiet in yourself, sit next to me. Once I said, okay, you can even sit on my lap. This voice that's going, trying to quiet her. It's just, um, and I had heard this years ago. And that was, as that voice goes off to say, thank you for your share. <laughs> you know, just with love and respect to these little agitated pieces. And now we're going to listen to God now. It's the God show. I like that, Harper show. The God show. It's not the Anita show. Thanks. Thank you so much, Harper. Alita P., your question, please. Thank you so much. This is Alita P. in Minnesota. Thank you so much, um, 
uh, Leah, for your service, committed service all the time. And thank you so much, Anita, for a wonderful share. Um, I, my question is, is um, I did hear you say, um, I thought I heard you say that when you did your resentment, you did the resentment on yourself also. And I was, um, early on I was taught not to do that or something. So I would like to hear a little bit more about that. I have a sponsee who would like to um, include herself on the resentment form. And so I'm just, I'm really curious what you would have to say about that. Thanks again. I pass. Yeah. Thank you for that question. I um, It's interesting. I didn't know that people didn't do that. That's, that's, what, that's how I was taught here. And um, when I did it, even with my vision person, I did it that way. No, actually, I, I, I don't I've got to have to look it up again. But the first one, it was tremendously healing. And I, one of the people that uh, I've led through had already been through vision, but then fell, you know, it didn't stop working, and we did it. And I had her do herself. And it turned, because whatever the family members were that she couldn't put down and let go of or turn around, um, she needed to put herself on, and she came to see her part in it. Uh, maybe that could have been done a different way, but it wasn't. And since then, I never hear her talk about them anymore. It's, it, it just did. I don't know. I mean, I really believe God leads us, and maybe you needed to hear that for her. To, what harm can it do the girl if she wants to do it? You know? What harm? And if she gets anything out of it, it I, I know I did. Thanks. Thank you, Alita. Mary Lee, your turn. Did you say Mary Lee? Yes. Oh, God morning. This is uh, Mary Lee, a recovered visionary in California. And I just feel like I've been listening to the K-Love show. Um, <laughs> my question is about um, forgiveness. Um, I heard a lot of forgiveness this morning. And, uh, and I heard that you included yourself. And I just wondered if you could expand on that a little bit more. Thank you. Well... I, I expected so much of myself. You have to understand, nobody else was taking care of anything. You know, I had to be everything but the breadwinner. You know, I mean, uh, that that got in me. And even when I started to raise the kids with my husband, you know, we're still married. That's the journey we're not going into. We only had, I even went over the hour, we never mentioned him. That's a miracle. But the the thing is that um, I couldn't save her. I finally came to see I couldn't make him happy. I couldn't make up for him leaving his family in the old country and braving it here. And I couldn't make up for the wife, you know, that he didn't have. I couldn't make up for any of it. And yet I tried. God, did I try. And... Um, it's it's just a, I had to forgive myself because they were not sins of, um, they, were, they weren't my sins. So that, that is it. That's why, um, just to, to see that, do I forgive myself for just being a human being? 
no, I'm a, I am a human being, and that, that's all I am, and that's all I will ever be. I'm actually so grateful to know it now. You know, give yourself a break, you know. Go go look at a sunset. Look at the ocean. Well, if you're not near the ocean, don't go look at the ocean. Pass. <laughs> Thanks, Mary Lee. Eileen B. Hi, did you, this is Eileen B. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Oh, thank you. Hi, this is Eileen B. Uh, recovering compulsory Pennsylvania. And I want to thank you so much, Anita, for sharing your story with us. It was just, I got so much from it. My question to you is, I know that when you talked about the four steps, I'm being very specific. Um, I am now on the ninth step. And a couple years ago, I made, I'd gone through the steps and I made amends to my children, but it was very general. It wasn't thorough, very general. So now I'm on the ninth step again and preparing myself to make amends to my children. And they're 21 and 19 and a half. There is a million things that I feel like I need to make amends for. So I was wondering if you could share your experience regarding your nine-step amends to your children. Thank you. Yes. Yes, I, um, you know, I've, I've done them uh, again, you know, when I did this process. But the first, Julie, the first one where the, the specific really both times is, is very good because, you know, I was, with my daughter, my daughter's the easier one. It was my son who took who took the brunt of all my unhappiness. And um, but with my daughter, um, whatever you know, I wasn't there for her I, uh, emotionally. You know, I was the PTA president. I was visible all over the place, but um, emotionally, I can't. I couldn't give what I couldn't give her. And I don't remember now the specifics, but they were all specific. But then at the end, I said to her, uh, Lisa, is there anything else? Is there anything else that I, I didn't put down? So I think that's why you have to be specific, because you have to ask, is there anything else? And she said, yes. She goes, Mom, you always just yelled at my brother. You never yelled at me, but did you ever think how I felt standing there listening to you scream at him and calling him an SLB when he's a kid? Little, we're talking little, the, um, the anger. She goes, I, I loved him. I love him. And oh, who would have thought of that? I never saw it. So unless I had been specific, she couldn't have given me the sheer back. So I, I, you, I, you try your best to have God reveal some specifics for you. And recently with my son, the latest, we had lunch, not when I wanted to, but when we could finally get it. And I think when God wanted us together, he, he, my biggest amend was that I wasn't a better role model as, he, as his children now are, 13 and 15. Um and watching him do to them what I did to him. Not as bad, but still it's there. And, I, and the, it's the role model. And we discussed it. And uh, 
that's why the, the specifics. And then he came back with some other issues. And I think when they see you're real, they'll be real back. Thanks. Thank you very much, Eileen. Who else has a question for Anita this morning? Hey, it's one. Naomi B. Naomi. Anyone else? Santa H. Santa. Huh. Who else? Questions for Anita related to her story of transformation. Anyone else? Okay, I'm assuming that's a no. So let's go with mm-hmm. Naomi. Thanks, Leah. Thank you for your service. Anita, thank you for that qualification. I'm not usually here on Saturday, Sunday mornings, but, boy, this was amazing. The question, it was very interesting what you said about being abstinent but not really being abstinent but yet fitting in your own clothes. I'm paraphrasing, but I, I kind of think this yeah. was the gist of it. Could you just explain yeah. that, please? Well, that that was my definition back then. It, just, it was my only goal was not to look. See, it was all surface. If I could get away with with a little bit here or there, I didn't ever do it deliberately. But when that moment came and I couldn't, you know, couldn't comfort myself, I didn't know how to comfort myself in a recovered way. So if I could get a little and stop to quiet me, quiet my nerves, uh, I didn't care. That was abstinent enough for me. And um, you see how I sort of changed myself? And it wasn't abstinent. You're right. You're not not by my definition. And, and it's such a shame that I had such a limited goal and look outlook. But that's how it was. As you can see now, I was invested in not really knowing the truth. And yet it set me free. Go figure. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Naomi. And Santa H., your turn. Hello. <laughs> Good morning, Anita. Thank you so much for your service today. You did an excellent job. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Um, You shared uh, a lot about your mom and your dad. And correct me if I'm wrong, but from my my point of view, I see a lot of wonderful lessons that your mom taught you in your lifetime up to this point. And she sounds to be be a wonderful teacher, great master in your life. And, of course, out of that, um, there were a lot of character defects that you needed to work through, and I'm sure it sounds like the path of willingness was long and hard, and um, there were some struggles in that behavior, and you needed to see over and over again you know, how these character defects were no longer useful for you now that you're recovered. I wanted to know if you can um, talk about your character defects and tie it into how your mom was one of your greatest teachers and what did she t- taught you, and how would you tie it into step six? And with that, I pass. Thank, thank you. Um, you know what? My mother, well, I told you she was a bit of a snob. <laughs> but um, other than that, she was, uh, she was um, inclusive, no matter who she ran into. She would smile and joke. You know, she was really 
mentally ill, to I came to see the mental illness, to not not diagnosed. I mean, I I never could find out what it was, but um, she carried on and um, was welcoming to people. I just want to tell you, walking through those streets of Evanston with her, a fellow was coming toward us. He didn't have a face. I mean, I I, I just walked away, and um, she stopped chatted, how you doing, uh, loving like that. Um, and she told me later that he had been um, something with acid. And he's still walking around trying to live his life. And she, she you know, did that. And um, so she was as loving as she could be. And let me tell you that um, I just want to say she didn't have much money, you know. and But her... Um, just, I gave her, sent her $50 once for Christmas, and she sent it back and said, give it to my grandchildren. I mean, it, she was generous as much as she could be and she bought some stuff on the Salvation Army to give, to give to me, gave to me to when I visit and said, give it to them for Christmas. I, she, her generosity. She had another one where we still joke about it. No matter what happened, she'd say, you never know. She would never take, uh, you know, I don't know if that was a good lesson or not. You never know. She also believed in me. This is the last thing I'll say about my mother. And then she believed in me, whereas my father used to say, who do you think you are? With my high and nobody went to college. Who do you think you are? She said that dream, but see, she wasn't really in touch with reality, but she she thought I was going to play Scarlett O'Hara in the remake of Gone with the Wind. Can you believe this? And, and, um, but and the, the point was, yes, she never squashed me like that. So trying to feed the dreams of the people I love, you know, is a wonderful thing, and um, that was a wonderful lesson. Thanks. Thank you, Santa. Okay, last call for questions. Anyone else with a question for Anita this morning? Going once. Hi, Dr. H. Elaine B. I didn't catch either name. Try again. Elaine B. Esther H. Esther H. Elaine and Esther. Yeah. Okay, excellent. Elaine, go ahead with your question. Thanks. Thank you, Leigh, for your service. And Anita J., so fabulous to hear your story. <laughs> Hi, and, Elaine. Uh, obviously, I can identify in at some level. Um, Anita, my understanding is, or, or one of the things that I've experienced that's a little different um, in the vision for you is the, the focus on... Um, Living step ten, and uh, we you and also of course eleven, which you've mentioned. But I'm wondering how you live out step ten on a day day to day basis. Thank yes, you, so much. you know, thank you, thank you for that question. I I I was talking too long, so I I had to short short circuit that whole ending. But um, I first began to formally write. You know, I had it on my desktop. The um, that that page. You know. Um, and I'd fill it in every night, 
you know, where, where was I angry and um, is there a secret I should, something I should have shared with someone and send it to my sponsor. And uh, she wanted to make sure I would start to do that. I don't always write it anymore except in a shorter version because I bought a journal. I bought a journal done by, by one of the OA regions and they have it. They have it there. Um, asking all these questions, and so it doesn't give you much room, but I write it, and and it it helps me. It, you know, it helps me um, and to, to pray for other people. It, it just is a very good thing. But the step ten, you know, I don't have a sponsor now because of that's another story, and so I have um, I've got someone I read with. Uh, we're reading Step 6 and 7 out of Drop the Rock, we're reading. Uh, I have enlarged my Step 10 people, uh, which has gotten me, I, it's like I have all these sponsors. And I feel like God will lead me to one maybe for do weekly. Right now, my, I don't. But um, it's just been an amazing thing. That all has to be an important part. And I think I had mentioned once, they asked me at my church, how do I keep center during Advent? Well, never mind Advent. It's all year. So I Xeroxed, I, not Xeroxed, I um, laminated uh, some of our prayers and our, that, uh, you know, 86 to 88 or 80, whatever those pages are, and tried to get it to cross to them. And, uh, but you know what? You can't short, you can't short circuit that either. None of them have ever mentioned it again to me, because why? Because they haven't been through the whole process. Oh no, I have to do this. That's a, I'm glad you brought it up. Thank you. Thanks so much, Elaine. And Esther, your turn. Hi. Thank you so much, Anita. It was really very. Uh... I just found everything you spoke about was so fascinating, you know, how the process can, you know, bring all of us to a place of much more peace and serenity and, of course, a closer connection, you know, to a higher power. Um, I just wanted to ask you, you were talking about uh, doing the steps and um, the denial that a lot of your denials were denials that you weren't even aware of, that you were denying because you um, didn't have the memory of them, at least not at that stage when you were doing the steps. It was only till later. And I was just wondering if, um, whether it was the steps, your program being um, to some degree abstinent in your way of abstinence as according to, you know, what the program was considered abstinence at that stage. Did the pro- did your program bring you to um, the memories of your childhood forward or sent you to a therapist or, um, like, how did it come about that you ended up being aware of these um, memories oh, that yeah. you... Yeah, I thought I had said that, but it's, um, let me just say it again, because I can understand that you could block it. That's the way I block things. Um, 
Uh, no, I was kept trying to do this program, not the big book yet, but uh, the other fourth step ways. And um, my father died. And you see, the message I got my whole life when I tell him, um, you know, please take me back. Oh, because they divorced. And so I only had two days with him, five days with her. I couldn't stand it, five days with her. And... Um, uh, he kept saying, you can handle it, you can handle it. And we won't go into it all, but, uh, you know, the court system in those days and all of that, it, it, I, I, that's, how, that's what they did. And so once he died, I did not have to handle it anymore. That started it. And that's where I got strong in the therapy, still going to meetings, but strong in the therapy. And that's when I finally did the big book. Uh, got on the cake because this lady had been after me for years and I just kept thinking what the heck is her problem but I was ready then I knew the truth now up until then I could never go below the age of seven I had no memory so uh, and I think we all get cleared up in the order we're supposed to I really do and uh, you know, it's funny that I'm grateful that I would get it this late in my recovery. I don't care. And it will be for you, too, if that's one of your issues. Thanks. Thank you very much, Esther, and thank you to everyone who did ask questions this morning. And, of course, thank you, Anita, for your generous service and your story of transformation, which was so moving this morning. We thank you. And I'll close the meeting but the way we always close here on A Vision for You, and that's from page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.